We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Kevin, you know, I love making websites. You do. And you make lots of them. I do both for our podcast work and for my work work. And the platform I always use always is Squarespace. Squarespace. The future is coming. Make it brighter with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it so easy to turn your idea into unique website. You can showcase your work blog or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds, even create a podcast in just a few clicks. You can customize everything from the look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers. The sites are fully responsive. They look just as great on your phone as they do on your computer. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CWO to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. Use offer code CWO. If you like a good conspiracy theory, like Toby does, (laughs) you might want to check out the new podcast, Conspiracy Theories, because the truth isn't always the best story, and the official story isn't always the truth. Each episode of Conspiracy Theories gives the official version another look, and using grounded research, the hosts tell what they believe is the real truth. You can check out episodes covering the death of Princess Diana and Area 51 right now, and with a new episode coming out every Wednesday, you can expect episodes on the Illuminati, chemtrails, and many more. You know that guy in your family who loves the chemtrail conspiracy? Yeah, Yeah, he's not in my family. Yeah, not anymore. (laughs) Visit Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and search for Conspiracy Theories. Again, that's C-O-N-S-P-I-R-A-C-Y-T-H-E-O-R-I-E-S. Or visit Parcast.com slash conspiracy to start listening now. That's Parcast. P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com slash conspiracy. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll discuss HBO's limited series, Mosaic. How does A-list director Steven Soderbergh's multimedia crime drama hold up on the little screen? We'll also take a quick trip back to Ireland with a follow-up on the new hit podcast, West Cork, and talk about lots of other stuff. Joining me to do all that is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and my valentine... 
Kevin Flint. Happy Valentine's Day, Flint. Happy belated Valentine's Day, Lavoy. <laughs> We're taping this on Valentine's Day, so uh, it counts. Yes. I guess it counts. Yes. I am the worst of Valentine's Day. I didn't get you anything. What did you get me? I got you two dozen roses from 1-800-Flowers. I'm <laughs> <laughs> using that promo code. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Also joining us is true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and winter bird feeder filler. And now we've learned that that is a sanctioned activity. Yes. Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. I'm glad I'm not like you know, affecting the bird population in a negative way. I will continue filling the bird feeder. So uh, hopefully not falling on my ass again. Thanks but, to uh, <laughs> all the listeners who wrote in to let us know it yes. was okay for her yes. to do that. Yes. And finally, the man who needs no introduction, the acclaimed novelist behind the City Trilogy, the man who introduced me to the Moscow Mule, recently returned from Canada, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello. And by recently, we mean like an hour and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. After 11 hours of driving. How was the trip? It was really fun. So originally we were just going to go to Syracuse and visit my parents and go to a basketball game. But my son and I decided we would like continue on to Toronto for a couple nights, go to another basketball game, but then, you know, just kind of explore the city. So we did a lot of sort of walking around, uh, checking out different neighborhoods, sampling the food and beverage options. And then the last, so I guess it was last night, we went to see the Raptors Mm -hmm. play the Heat at the Air Canada Center. Wow. Toronto is not close to here. It's not like, we're actually pretty close to Montreal. Our listeners might not realize, but Toronto is not one of the Canadian cities that is within a quick drive of us. It's like 10 hours normally, but then we got stuck in like hellacious traffic. Mm-hmm. In uh, Toronto and Mississauga. Um, is that a real anyway, place or did you just make that up? Mississauga? Yeah. No, Mississauga is a real place. It's it's just west of Toronto. And you know who's probably the most famous Mississauguans? Uh, Hillary and David from Love Are Listed. <laughs> are they from Simone Paget, our, fav- our favorite sex columnist? Well, uh, maybe. But I was thinking of the band Triumph is from Mississauga. Mm, that's like one of those hair metal bands, isn't it? No, they're kind of like a rush knockoff. I only know Hillary and David from Love It or List It, which, of course, the original episodes were filmed in Toronto, yeah. as opposed to Love It or List It 2, which was but filmed in Vancouver. But she's British, isn't she? Uh, no, she's Canadian now, I guess. But, you know, I don't really know. Oh. It's a backstory. Listen to HGTV and me. We film it know, all Do you guys ever... Sorry. Have you ever seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yes. Oh, yeah. Toby yeah, hasn't like seen it. 30 years ago. Like 30 years ago. Okay. Betty Monroe, the girl who's having the wedding in the beginning... That's Hillary. It's Hillary Farr from Love It or List It. Are you serious? Yeah. Absolutely serious. Oh, wow. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to have to look that up. The Pe- revelation that came out on HGTV and me, Kevin's mind was blown. People have been throwing rice at Hillary for 40 <laughs> years. <laughs> I'm writing this down. I'm going to look this up. Hillary, Love It, and List It, Rocky Horror. Okay. That's right. Her name now is Hillary Farr, but when she was in Rocky Horror, she had a different name. As many actors do, she changed her name at some point. She's also like a Broadway actress at some point. I don't know. Yeah. We're kind of, we're, wow. HGTV and me is not like a well-researched podcast, <laughs> but that was a fact that <laughs> but uh, this came one out. is what? All right. Well, um, a little bit of business. We already know what we're going to be talking about next week on the show. There's a new podcast that is climbing the podcast charts, and it's I listened to a little bit of the first episode today, and it's very intriguing. It's called Disgraceland, and it is the true crime stories of music icons. It's a little bit different than the stuff we normally talk about and I'm sure we'll talk about some other stuff too but we are going to be giving Disgraceland an early review next week. Is that the thing about uh, Jerry Lee Lewis? Yes, that's the thing about Jerry Lee Lewis. 
Yeah, I listened to uh, like the preview or something a couple months ago. Yep, it's very interesting. We also, an apartment I lived in in D.C. was called Disgraceland. Oh, really? On purpose? <laughs> well, just this our, sounds our, like our, another true crime story right now. Not, yeah. not, not the entire building. I'm just going to point out to the three of you, I pitched this to all of you around the new year and you all poo-pooed. We were me. like, nope. <laughs> It was it was crickets. I told the guy today. I wrote to him to see if we could get a preview of the next episode, and I was like, uh, "You may or may not have corresponded with someone on my panel, aka my husband, a few weeks ago, because he pitched. He says he pitched me your show, and I completely ignored him. But anyway, we're talking about it next week, and we're we'll probably talking about some other stuff as well. So another piece of podcast business. It's almost March, and you know what that means? March Madness, Toby Ball. <laughs> That's right. How's Gonzaga going to do? (laughs) But before March Madness, Discover Pods, the podcast news and blog site, has put out a podcast madness bracket, and we are in it. We We are in a podcast bracket, guys. We made the tourney. We made the tourney. But um, Kevin and I have a dream, uh, a tourney dream, um, and that is just to get out of round one. (laughs) We just want to advance one round. We don't think we're going to advance past one round. It's it's highly well, unlikely. We're in a very competitive uh, bracket. Toby, this is like when St. Michael's makes March Madness. It's like if they yeah. can just go one round, it's like it's it's a, Get it a, a 32 or whatever. Yeah, just d- don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately we're up against a popular podcast. We are in the um, true crime quadrant, and we are up against it's uh, Crime Writers On versus true crime garage mm. so you Those know guys are good it's nothing against them but we really still want to advance but i'll have to tell you i feel like ours is the only kind of like fair matchup in terms of like the type of podcast we are because we're both commentary podcasts you mm-hmm. know some of the other matchups are a little bit bizarre um s-town versus someone knows something yeah. yeah, close. Uh, Dirty John yeah. versus Case File. I don't really, I'm not that familiar with yeah. Case File. Um, Up and Vanished versus Embedded. What's Embedded? Embedded, it was the NPR podcast, the investigative reporting oh. podcast with Kelly McGarrett. Oh, yeah, okay. That's kind yeah, of yeah. an odd... Yeah. Huh. An, an investigative reporter gets embedded in some sort of big story for a extended period. Exactly, and... exactly. And then another interesting matchup is Atlanta Monster versus Crime Town. Huh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's sort of a... <laughs> <laughs> listen, I'm just it's, reading out some, some matchups of the, that make the tournament. I guess. Yeah, listen, I, I, I am, yeah, I am like, is, I'm yeah. just looking at some of the other names in here, like yeah. Heaven's Gates in here, Criminal is in here. Like, we're not making it past round two. No, so. no, no. That's, Please, no, listeners, really help us get through round one. We will put a link to the actual voting right yeah. in the show notes for this podcast. It's Discover no, Pods. We're, the, we're really the only review kind of podcast there. You yeah. know, True Crime Garage, they're, they're an anthology. They look at different things yeah, each week. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, so that's probably the closest as far as a week-to-week one. But Yeah, but if you look at some of the other brackets, like... It's not about- like a high-quality versus a low-quality. It's kind of like a, a, a different style versus... right. Yeah, but if, yeah, but if you look at even a, just like generally some of the other shows that are in this um, large that's thing how altogether, brackets work. I know. Yeah. Like this is why we're definitely not making it out of the out yeah. of the first round though, because like ninety nine percent of the daily is in here. <laughs> uh, oh, this wow. This American Life is in here. The Bill Simmons uh-huh. podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience. I mean, we're not making it past okay. the next okay. round. We've but, convinced people. Now, what do we? What no. are they going to do? Let's be optimistic. 
I'm optimistic. We can beat this American life in the daily. No problem. Uh, go to the show notes right now or go to just Google Discover Pods right on their homepage. There is the uh, Podcast Madness tournament. You go in that blog and there's a whole other link that you have to click through to get to the tournament. But we will link right to the brackets in the show notes for this show. Okay. Okay? Actually, we tell everybody, pause the podcast right now. Just vote for Come us back right and, and go to where again? Discover Pods. Just Google it. Or just look in the show notes, click on the link. We will put it right there, and you can vote for Crime Writers On. Unless, of course, you're a true crime garage super fan. But vote for us. Anyway, we're not, we're underdogs, for God's sakes. Okay. Business accomplished. Nothing against the captain. It's just... <laughs> it's you got to risk it for the biscuit. That's right. Now, Kevin, <laughs> I want to just uh, talk about a local story that a bunch of listeners have been sending us links to this week that mm-hmm. I am very familiar with, because we're covering it extensively in the newsroom where it's I the work. the New York Times this A New Hampshire woman is the sole winner of the $560 million Powerball jackpot that got drawn a couple of weeks ago. She is asking a judge in New Hampshire to allow her to remain anonymous. Now, the issue is that the state lottery has a rule that you have to sign the back of your ticket in order to claim your prize. She read that on the website. She signed the back of her ticket. And then she went to speak to a lawyer who said, no, 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 no. What you should have done was open a trust and then had the trust sign the back of the ticket. And then you could have uh, held if you on want to, to remain anonymous anonymity. So yeah. this has a story that we have been reporting on it in my newsroom for a couple weeks. And every time we post a, a story about it, it gets thousands and thousands and thousands of page views from around the world tons of comments, lots of very strong opinions about whether or not this woman should be able to remain anonymous or not. Basically, what she's asking for is the ability to white out her name on the back of the ticket and rewrite it. But the rules very clearly state you cannot do that. Now, Kevin, I'm going to come to you last. I was going to say do that. Because you are a bona fide lottery expert, having Mm -hmm. written a book on the subject, literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, Laura Bricker, what do you think of this case? Should this woman be allowed to um, buck the rules and be anonymous? What do you think? Um, well, for my own personal curiosity, I say no, because I want to know who she is. Um, we went through this. I, wasn't it last fall? We went through a very similar thing because um, whoever won the last big one lived in one of the towns around where I live. And then um, everyone thought it was like a, a supermarket employee because they had donated money to the Hannafords. And, but I think they had actually set up the trust, so they circumvented all of this. Mm. Um, so I still don't know who that person is. So, you know, I get it because, you know, as soon as you win the lottery, everybody's going to come calling. But you know what? You have enough money to hire a personal assistant to beat them back. Mm. So I want to know who this lady is. Yeah. What do you think, Toby? Should she be allowed to remain anonymous or not? Yeah. She should hmm. be allowed to. Okay. Why wouldn't she? Well, I have a, I have the feelings about it. No. The rules say no, and there are good reasons, very good reasons for those rules. And she's not a victim of the lottery. She opted in <laughs> to play the lot. It's not like it's not like she she got knew the five, rules up front. Well, even if she didn't, though, it's not like she got five hundred sixty million dollars for no reason. Like it was just foisted upon her. Like, like involuntary income? Yeah, she she played the law. Lo- I don't know. I, Kevin, you, you're actually the expert here. So what is your opinion and can you tell us what the background here is? Should I explain my bona fides first? Uh, my bona fides. Briefly, briefly. I wrote a book called American Sweepstakes and it's actually about the New Hampshire lottery yep. because New Hampshire was the first state in the union to uh, have a state-sponsored uh, run lottery in the modern era. That was 1964. And so one of the problems that people had with the idea of a sweepstakes at the time was that there was concern that it would be infiltrated by the mob. 
or that it would otherwise be corrupt. Because at the time, I mean, if anybody could gamble, you don't need, you don't need a lottery to, to wager. Right. You know the numbers games and stuff like that. The problem was that it was very often rigged. Yep. And it was all often a skim and whatnot. So the idea to to make it transparent came from the lottery's first executive director. He was a guy by the name of Edward Powers, and he was an FBI agent. Mm -hmm. And he was the only FBI agent to catch two guys on the most wanted list at the same time. Right. He broke the case of the, the infamous Brinks heist of 1950. He was able to break it with six days to go before the statute of limitations ran out. He was he was like a very famous FBI guy. And he said, we're going to run this open and fair, and that's the way it's going to work. Because unless people see that it's it's on the up and up and that it's everybody's got a fair shot, then you know that's what makes illegal gambling you know bad. It's rigged against people. Right. And okay. by the way, so, in, in states where there isn't a law against anonymity, like in states where you ha- you can be anonymous, just Google it. There was just a huge scandal, like in New Jersey recently, in California, store owners winning the lottery over and over again. People who sell tickets winning lottery officials, mm-hmm. yep, rigging the lottery. It actually is happening, like for real. Everywhere. Yeah, the integrity of the lottery is something that's like really important to lottery officials. See, this is the basis of it. There's also the legal argument, w- argument, which is what is a public document and what is exempt from that? What documents do the public have a right to know about? And there is a right to know law in New Hampshire, and there are some exemptions uh, for it. These kinds of documents are not subject to, to right of no uh, requests. And lottery tickets are not among them. Right. Uh, so that they are a public document. So if the person signs it, you can't say that I'm a fan of Rabia getting a, a hold of all these public documents to do her research for justice and say, but this document from somebody who signs a lottery ticket shouldn't be made public because it's a whole lot of money and that's right. a pain to her. And this key thing is that the lottery has a public function. It funds the education it, system. It does. It does. Now, the difference with the, with the trust is it has nothing to do with the lottery rules. It has to do with trust rules right. where the people in the trust or the one person in the trust can remain anonymous. Right. And then the trust claims the ticket. But that isn't a different lottery rule. Right. It's somebody has to publicly claim the ticket. Right. And it's so that you know it's not the lottery director's daughter. Right. And, and or the whatnot. store owner. Or the store. Because that does happen. It, it does happen. A lot of people, not for uh, $500 mil- billion, but whatever, but a lot of guys rip off little old ladies on their scratch tickets. Right. They say, that's a loser. They look through it. They run through an old one. through the blah, 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 It's a loser. And they keep the, the winners for themselves. It, it's very important. And it's not just a, a, a hypothetical, right. uh, you know, a philosophical legal argument. I mean, it, it, it does have an actual place. So for that, I say I don't feel sorry for a woman who put money down. On and, purpose. On purpose. <laughs> One five hundred and fifty million dollars, and is now a victim. Right. I mean, yeah. No. So, so we have three. My heart weeps. So we have three no's and a yes in terms of these. Should she be able to remain anonymous? Thing. That's what. That's what it sounds like. We're I don't know, hands. Toby. Do we? We. You said why not? Do we convince you? <laughs> well, I just think there's there's an, another way of doing it. I mean, you can just have the board certify that the person was. I, I don't see what the necessity is for the public. What's in the to public interest? Yeah. Who that is? I yeah. mean, I think you, you could you could easily just have a board of respected citizens would be like, yeah, no, that person didn't own the store or or 
it's not the daughter of somebody. But sometimes it is and, somebody high high profile. We also deserve to know that. Like our one of our U.S. senators won a lottery jackpot once. You guys remember when Judd Gregg won Powerball? <laughs> yes. Senator Judd Gregg. Yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> it happened. But um, anyway, I think there's I think there's another way of doing it. But you know, again, it's you know, it's a nice problem to have right. for her. Yeah. Basically. So. And and the irony is that like. Her identity is so much more interesting now than it would yes. have been. Yeah. Like if she had Who just signed this? the ticket, it would have been whatever. Like it would have been a story in the news for a short period of time. Yeah. Then she would have had leeches from all over the country writing to her for like a couple months or whatever. And then like she would have been able to set up her stuff and move on. Right. Yeah. But like now it's like at this hearing this week, there were like dozens of reporters from all over the country there. Like everyone wants to know. Here's the practical yeah. thing. So what if, what if she's uh, what if she's like witness protection or something? What happens then? Oh, she's not. <laughs> she's oh, not. You mean like what we if have, she's already? We actually know she's some lady yeah. who's just like, yeah, it's crap. Um, <laughs> my favorite lottery. We had we had a guy. We had this great like local corner store in Exeter. And this guy won like the one million dollar Powerball there. He was like the local hockey coach. And then like a couple of years later, he got indicted federally because he was a financial planner for like bilking old ladies out of their retirement. That was a good lottery story. It was fun because he probably ended up spending all his lottery winnings on like his lawyer fees. But um. (laughs) here's here's the practical thing, though, Laura, is is that if this woman doesn't want to be identified and she lives in this small town. Isn't somebody going to notice that Mary quit her job? Yes. And that suddenly yes. has a Mercedes <laughs> and has taken five vacations already? I mean, yes. how, like, really? And honestly, put me on this. I'll find out who she is in like a week because people <laughs> already know who she is. Her neighbors, her family, they already know who she is. Right. And Go get somebody's going to start. Yeah, I'm all over this. I'm going to find it. It honestly her. wouldn't be hard because, you know, and it's New Hampshire. I mean, I don't want to like like throw out anything out there that's like unethical, but like we know who her lawyer is. His office is right in downtown Manchester. Yeah. It wouldn't be hard to try draw the lines here. The one last time, the one that won last fall, the same thing that, that wouldn't come out and wouldn't say who it was. It was the same. Everybody knew who it was, and it was in a town over by me. Yeah. Because people started talking. Right. Um, right. So I. I'm just a nosy Nelly, and I want to know. <laughs> I want to I mean, know that's, now. That's the honest truth. I didn't here. care before. She made such a big deal out of it. I know. Anyway, the the judge did um, prescribe an interesting remedy for the short term because she was losing like fifty thousand dollars in interest a day or something like that. Fifteen thousand dollars in interest. A day. Fifteen thousand a day in interest. Yeah. So that what, may, that's five million dollars a year in interest. Right. So what he has allowed as a temporary relief is to have her. She's she was allowed to cash in the ticket, but they're putting the ticket under seal until this matter is resolved. So okay. anyway, huh. we'll see what there happens. It's an international story though happening right next door. The superior it court is where the this biggest- happening is. The biggest jackpot for the, it is. for the country, right? Well, it is. It, no, I don't think it's the biggest ever, but it's one of the biggest ever, yeah. There's a couple bigger ones in Europe. And you right? know, no one, like, we, those things always happen, and it's never someone in New Hampshire. So it's exciting. It's exciting. For us, yeah. It's good, good for the economy. <laughs> All yeah, the lawyers are making is. bank. I'm excited. There's actually a lawyer in the state now who specializes in helping lottery winners. Like, that's his specialty. He's representing them. Wow. Him. Anyway, all right. Well, I want to spend a few minutes revisiting a piece of content we talked about last week, the new true crime podcast, West Cork from Audible. We did a really spoiler-free review of that show, and we've been getting a lot of listener requests, like the one I'm about to play for you now. Now, warning to listeners, if you haven't listened to West Cork yet and don't want to hear anything more about it, check the show notes for a timestamp labeled to skip our spoily West Cork conversation go-to 
dot, dot, dot. So just look for a timestamp that says it's that, and we will take you right past the few minutes we're going to talk about this right now. So Kevin, do you want to go ahead and play this voicemail from a listener? Hi, Crime Writers. My name is Natalie, and I'm contacting you today from Dublin in Ireland. I'm contacting you about your review of West Cork. Um, as an Irish person, I've been pretty much obsessed with this case for the last 20 years um, and followed Ian Bailey's different uh, cases very closely over the years. I absolutely loved the podcast. I thought they did a really, really good job. And even though there wasn't really any surprises in it for me, I still really enjoyed it. But one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much is you guys had said you were going to review it before I listened to it. And I found myself the whole way through wondering what you were going to think and what you were going to say about different aspects of it. Like, what were you going to think about the accents? Would you be able to follow and understand some of the really thick West Cork accents on the recordings? What, what you would say? you make of uh, the Gardaí <laughs> and how bad some of the language and the swearing was in it? Um, what would you think of the different witnesses? Who would you believe? Who would you not believe? And then I suppose... Above all else, what would you actually make of Ian Bailey? Because he just like, you know, is a complete nar- narcissist. And in Ireland, most people would think he, he's an arsehole, whether he's a murderer or not. Uh, he's not what you would call a good guy, for sure. Um, and I suppose then really Maria Farrell. I mean, I can't think of any other podcast like this that I've listened to where the lead witness changes their story as much as Maria Farrell does. Um, so I suppose really I'd love to just hear you talk about it in a bit more detail um, and give us a good idea of exactly what you think of the different individuals involved. Love the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Rebecca, I know it's Valentine's Day, but I'm leaving you for Natalie. I don't blame you. She sounds so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> she loves the podcast. She thinks Ian is an She's arsehole. Like, I'm going to use that now. I'm going to use that expression because then I won't even feel like I'm swearing. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Now, uh, now to, as to what Natalie had to say about how she's never heard anything about the unreliability of a central witness changing their story so many times, I do take exception to that uh, a little bit. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Little Thing Called Serial Season 1 was all about that, about a uh, star witness who told multiple versions of the story that en- ended up making no sense. However... Didn't change it as much as she did. Oh, really? So so you, do you agree with Natalie then that this witness was like unbelievably unreliable? Right. Well, she said one thing and then later she said, no, that's not it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, Jay's like, well, I did this, I did that, you know, like mixes things up. He, he just never like, oh, no, we never even... I never was in the car with Adnan. <laughs> now, Toby, I'm just curious to know kind of some of your responses to what Natalie has to say here. You know, um, one of the things that that witness did, if I remember correctly, was basically like refuse to tell the cops who she was allegedly in the car with the night that she saw the man that she said was Ian walking along the road, putting him sort of in the vicinity of the crime. Um what did you think of her and, and what did you think of this character of Ian who, you know, we can say in this little spoiler happy zone is the prime suspect in this crime and has had several legal proceedings over it. What are your thoughts? As far as Maria goes, I don't know. I mean, you don't get enough of like the rest of her background to know. But it, I mean, it sounds like she was looking for an easy way out is one of those little lies that then blows up into something huge. And then she wanted to put the brakes on it. Ian is what makes the whole thing really interesting, right? I mean, there's there's sort of this, the whodunit aspect of it would be pretty good, I guess. But the fact that Ian is like the prime suspect is just willing to like talk as long as you let him talk and is such a bizarre character. 
you know, and I, I think I said in the last podcast, you remind me a little bit of John McLemore. So I thought that was kind of that was kind of the element that to me kind of distinguished this podcast, which was which was really, you know, I, I think everything about it was really good. Mm. And I think the fact that they were able to get a, a crime with a guy like this who just, you know, he won't shut up <laughs> and and he's so sort of self-revealing in a way that, you know, I think he believes helps him. But I don't actually believe that it does. Mm. So I, that sort of complicated dynamic, I think, was really like one of the things that I thought made this, like I said before, like one of my top five. Now, Toby, you don't have to say what it is if you don't want to. But do you have an opinion as to whether or not Ian committed the crime or not? I, I guess I don't I don't have a, a strong opinion. I have a lean. I would sort of lean towards him being guilty. Mm. The hard thing with him being such a huge character and being so full of shit about a lot of things is you don't want to let that be what convinces you that he's guilty. Right. Exactly. You know? Yep. So he makes it hard. And if and if there was, you know, I, I can't imagine that this is actually a strategy. But if the idea is to make people like have such strong feelings about your personality that nobody can like make a sound judgment on the evidence about whether or not you committed murder. Well, I think he's done that pretty effectively. <laughs> he's disqualified himself because of his own attitude. Now, Laura, what, <laughs> what do you think about uh, Natalie's comments there? And what do you think about the characters in the story? Um, especially, you know, the witness, Maria and mm-hmm. uh, Ian, the prime suspect. So that was for me, that was when this podcast really picked up is when we started hearing from Ian. Like Toby said, he's just so full of it. And you're listening to him and he's always into something and he's always trying to wheel and deal something. And it's always some reason why he shouldn't be guilty or he shouldn't be accused of something. And it just seems like this guy gets into an awful lot of trouble situations for somebody who's innocent. But the fact that they had such access to him was incredible. I think that for me was I I kept listening thinking, when is he going to trip up? When is he going to say something that he shouldn't say? When is he going to say something that's going to be super incriminating? And then I also kind of wonder, you know, and I think I mentioned this, having such access to him, you know, did that preclude them from maybe exploring other avenues and other people they might have you know, interviewed and included, because it just the comments from him and the input from him was just so far out there that, you know, you want to include it. So I mean, is that to the detriment of other angles that they might have followed up on? I don't know. Either way, you know, the characters in this and I still want to know who was in the car with that woman. Like, who is she? Because ha- again, I'm if anyone, Nelly. Who, right? who was she having an affair with? Was it Ian? I don't know. I, I loved this podcast. But I, the characters and, and all the quirky characters living out in this very remote area. Like I said, it really reminds me of some of the mysteries I've read that are set in these very remote areas where you're in this very insular community and a crime happens and you can't imagine that somebody within that very small community could be responsible. So it's uh, stranger than fiction, I guess. Yeah. One of the things I was surprised they didn't say on the podcast, I mean, because this is certainly a, a sort of something that I speculated about. And I wonder if it's like speculation. I haven't read, you know, all the articles and case files, obviously. But some of the ways that they framed Maria's changing story made it feel to me. And some of the tape we heard on the phone, it was not hard to tie a thread that maybe Maria was in the car with a cop. Maybe her boyfriend was one of the cops. 
because there was some weird like messages left for her and like just a lot of kind of like weird dynamics there. I don't know. I mean, it also could have just been that they got her to make up a story out of whole cloth because they had something else on her. I mean, this these cops obviously showed themselves to have some problems with ethics. Um, In terms of Ian, I agree with Toby. I don't know, obviously, who committed the crime, but one of the most compelling... But it's not going to stop you from venturing a guess? No, I mean, he was tried for it, and he also was not... He's going to be tried again for it. Uh His other cases, he wasn't successful in pursuing, so I think it's fair to sort of have an opinion. I'm not going... I don't know. I'm saying I don't know. Mm -hmm. However, the thing that really kind of bothers me about his whole story about that is how he keeps kind of admitting further and further out that like yeah he wasn't in he first was in the house all night and then he wasn't yeah i sometimes took walks at night yeah i was in the car it's like why would you say that just stick with the original lie like say you were in the house Uh what is the matter with you why do you keep potentially putting yourself at the crime scene unless you're worried that someone saw you near there or saw you walk for out of your you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that was always very strange to me i don't know kevin what are your thoughts well i'm not going to say whether or not I think somebody is guilty of a of a murder because I don't know. I as far as Ian Bailey goes, he's an unusual character, no doubt. I mean the staff and the long coat and the peculiar way that he talks about himself and the like uh I I just say that there's a lot of probable cause there to say that that he's the guy. But it could be a horse. Yep. That's what they say. <laughs> Could have been a horse, knocked her in the head. Can you believe he went to law school and became a lawyer? Didn't that blow your mind? It did. <laughs> blew my I, I, mind just too. a client of one, though, right? I mean, who would would anyone say? I don't I, know. I don't know. But all I know is that, like, on the one hand, it's like, oh, I'm going to pursue academia, and I'm thinking, like, bullshit. Then there's no way this guy is gonna like. But then he became a lawyer. He had like three more degrees. The hell? He had time. <laughs> But he has that lawyer who's crusading for him who seems very smart, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a confusing story in a lot of ways, and I'm sure I'm going to be following it now more. Here's the thing that I, I did like is that the very, very end, the last we hear of Ian is that he's in the, that they, the reporters are in the cab with him as he's going to turn himself in. He is so obsessed about the optics of when he gets out of the car mm. and that all these you know they can't start without me and that all these people are waiting for him and he wants to get out and he's like telling the pregnant woman to get out of his way <laughs> so that he can time this 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 exit from the car and you know it regardless of whether he's criminally culpable for the death of uh, Madame Plantier Duplantier Duplantier Tuscan Duplantier Tuscan Duplantier it sounds like this guy's like not clicking mentally on all cylinders. Right, right. So thank you to all the listeners who wrote in and wanted us to um, tell you what we thought. Now you know, if you've listened to this part of the podcast. Kevin, anything about this case that uh, still really disturbs you? I mean, nothing that's going to keep me up at night. <laughs> Especially when I'm lying on my Brooklyn and sheets. Oh, yes, Brooklyn and our old sheet friends. Yeah, Brooklyn and was founded in April 2014 by husband and wife team Vicky and Rich Faloop on the philosophy that people deserve simple, beautiful home essentials without the luxury prices. Mm -hmm. And that's where Brooklyn comes in. It's the fastest growing bedding brand in the world because people love these products. Their sheets have over 12,000 five-star reviews, and it became 12,001 when Toby Ball got his sheets. That's right, because he loves his Brooklyn and sheets. He loves him (laughs) some Brooklyn, and tell us about it, Toby. I love my Brooklyn and sheets. (laughs) (laughs) They're super comfortable. It is one of those things where you don't know how much more comfortable your sheets would be Mm. until you get sheets that are more comfortable. 
and that was kind of my experience with Brook London. Yeah, sleeping on great sheets is an easy way to upgrade your nightly routine and help you feel more well-rested every day. But most high-end quality bedding is marked up by more than 300% by the time it reaches the store. So Brooklyn makes quality luxury sheets and bedding for everyone. We all love our Brooklyn and sheets. You try these sheets and we know that you will love them too. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for crime writers on listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code crime, crime. at brooklinen.com. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they're going to offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty mm. on all of their sheets and comforters. There's no reason why you wouldn't give these sheets a try. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CRIME, crime. at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code CRIME. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. What else you got, Kevin? Well, support for today's show comes from HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. If you're a busy person and you've got to cook for the family, you don't always have time to get everything you want at the store, take it from Laura Bricker that HelloFresh is a great way to get dinner done. It is. I have uh, enjoyed the HelloFresh because it's it's um, easy recipes to make, so there's not a lot of extra steps you have to make. It's something that you can make pretty quickly, and it's really tasty. And so, you know, it's so easy that even my husband and son can help out, which is nice because they send these wonderful recipe cards that are super, uh, you know, very nice to follow with big pictures. And um, we had some uh, chicken sausage flatbreads with zucchini. They were very tasty. Mm, yeah, um, we had those too. Yeah, they were very good. And they were so good that the week that I didn't have my HelloFresh, I ended up going out and making them on my own because it was such a good combination. We also had a chicken with some sort of like a Southwest seasoning. It was kind of a more low-carb recipe served with some sort of tomato feta kind of salad that went with it. You know what? When I get home and I don't have time to cook and I don't have time to plan, it's really nice to just have something ready to go. Yeah, they have lots of one-pot recipes for seriously speedy cooking and minimal cleanup. They have three plans to choose from. That's the classic, the veggie, and the family. So there's there's something for everyone. Look forward to your Hello Fresh box delivery as the highlight of your week, knowing dinner is just that much easier to do. So for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the code CRIME30. Crime30. That's HelloFresh.com. Offer code CRIME30 for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. All right, well, moving on. HBO has unveiled a new limited series they say is a new storytelling experience, Mosaic. It's the brainchild of Steven Soderbergh, director of hit films like Ocean's Eleven, Aaron Brockovich, one of my all-time favorite movies, Out of Sight. Also, the movies Logan Lucky, Magic Mike. Anyway, Steven Soderbergh is a great director. Uh, This is a murder mystery. It plays out not only on television, but on a smartphone app and your laptop. Although I think most of us only watch television show. Laura Bricker was our only adventurous app user. The story surrounds the murder of a famous children's book writer played by Sharon Stone, focusing mostly on the men in her life. Hi, Eric. What was it about Olivia that drew these men to her, these rubes? You seem strong. Are you handy? Where were you on the New Year's Eve that Olivia was killed? 
Once again, as usual, we are going to be discussing spoilers. It's a short series, only six episodes. So if you would rather watch it and not hear this discussion and just skip to our review, you can skip to the thumbs up or thumbs down portion by looking in the show notes. Right now, we will give you that timestamp. So let's talk about Mosaic. And I first want to talk about location. This is one of the most location-porny series I think we have watched, Uh except perhaps for Big Little Lies. I don't know about you guys, but I have been Zillowing homes in the Park City area ever since we watched Mosaic on HBO. And I don't know if I'm alone in that. Um, But one of the interesting things because of the location is the sort of blending of location with Steven Soderbergh's cinematography style is um, he does enjoy these sort of like whitewashed, overexposed looks to his film. As you think about David Fincher, everything looks kind of blue. Steven Soderbergh does like bright sunlight and things being a little bit blinding. And certainly the snow-covered vistas of Park City, Utah, and the giant mansions that are there are perfect for this. Kevin, what did you think of the setting of Mosaic? Uh, no, I think you, you hit it right on calling it location porn. And your point on cinematography, yeah, I mean, there were times like where the camera would swing around outside and not like a lens flare, but just sort of the the reflection off of snow or stuff would make you squint. Mm. And I think that's, you know, on purpose, sort of not afraid to, to use the natural light in different ways that makes it look different. And I also noticed something about some of the inside stuff that the color temperature was changed an awful lot. And I'm like, why does it have like this, you know, this very warm kind of orange look to it, like the light? It's because I think they did a, what is a white balance. They did it on a different color than white. Mm. Because if you, I was checking this out, it was in a restaurant, and the salt, which should be white, was kind of an orangey brown. Yeah. So basically, the trick is that they tell the camera that no, this color is not white. They give you a little something else. It might be blue or yellow, whatever. This is white, and it changes the colors of everything. Huh. So it, it ends up being surreal in a certain way. I think it's very clever. I think it's clever, too. And if you've ever been to one of those um, western mountain towns, high elevation, the sun is very bright, and the interior is because of the decor. Lots of logs, uh-huh. lots of like dark tapestry, and then you walk outside, and it's like, whoa. Laura, I mean, you also, I know, uh, besides location, you also notice some of the wardrobing of the uh, <laughs> of yes. the, the characters in the show. And what do you think of just sort of the look and feel, including the costumes? Yeah, I was just like, oh, I'm moving. Um, this is nowhere <laughs> like the places I go skiing. This looks like a whole experience. Yep. They've got like big furry boots. And it seemed like every a lot of cashmere. place... Yes, yes. And the vests and everything. And I mean, Pee Wee Herman. I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, But it it just the whole scene itself and the whole setting, um, you know, it really brought you into a different world, Mm. a different type of, uh, you know, world than I live in. And it seemed like every place they went out, every restaurant or every every place they went to was somehow mysteriously magically right next to a ski hill right um and and it seemed like the people like i said the wardrobe you're talking about it's like everybody was dressed like they were ready for skiing even when they were just going to get a cup of coffee right so it definitely uh put me in the spirit of things and um and and i uh i'm I'm ready you know to forget new hampshire i've heard they get better snow out there now the story starts in an interesting way in the very first scene a suspect is confronted with forensic evidence in the crime he's confronted by the local cop Nate Henry who has an unbelievably great performance uh the actor's name is Devin Retray Retray I don't yeah. know how to pronounce that but anyway he is 
wonderful in this show. He confronts a suspect that we get to know later. This is a jump ahead in time moment. And he's basically saying at the beginning of the show, we know you did it and here's why. And then the show goes back, what, four years in time, immediately right after that scene. Toby, what did you think of this setup as, as an opening to the series? Basically showing the viewer, or as the viewer, you think you're being shown anyway, the answer to this mystery right up top. I, I wasn't sure, like, at the beginning. Like, generally people do that, and then the idea is, it turns out it's not the person that you think at the beginning, but then it turns out that it is. Does it? Yeah, I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think so either. You don't think it is? <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, let's get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. All right. So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. They certainly signal there and they signal again when he's sort of like drunkenly wandering from his room on New Year's Eve that he's he's up to no good. So, you know, it's it's been done before, but I th- kind of thought that the twist was that, in fact, Joel had done it, but you guys are telling me that's not the case. So <laughs> I, I I'll be interested in hearing what the story is. No, I, I think okay. it's a little bit up for dip. It's a little bit. I yeah, don't know. I mean, let's not get too much to the end already. Kevin, I want to talk to you about the structure because you had concerns when we first started watching this. And I think I should say, because this is one of those ones where I just want to like just say it, whether or not we end up liking it or not liking it, uh-huh. it's an addictive show. Like we loved what we got really into it, but you 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 had to get to a certain point before you got into yeah, it. Yeah, right? I was I, I was almost out after like Sharon Stone. Yeah, I was yeah. like, uh, that whole thing. I was like, eh, where is this going? This weird con man thing going on. There was just sort of enough that was um, not answered as opposed to things that are just sort of like left there to be, uh, you know, to be for, for foreshadowing or whatever. I, I was kind of like, if it was, if there were one more episode around four years earlier the first timeline and yeah and Sharon Stone's kind of really kind of unlikable character I think I was I I was like I'm out uh but as soon as she disappears disappears and all these other characters come in really it becomes like a new show Mm -hmm. and I really like that and so you know we talk about like sometimes good shows have like they they uh they don't stick the landing Mm. um this one like didn't like get off to a good start but redeemed itself I think after that, w- with a a much more interesting storyline secondarily, and a, I think a a really more interesting cast. I actually liked the first couple episodes. I think that one of the things that they don't fulfill in the show that I wish they had explored even in flashback a little bit is that I think, first of all, Sharon Stone, whether or not you like her character, is so good in this. Show. I think she's very good in mm-hmm. this show. And I haven't really seen Sharon Stone in a whole lot in the last few years except for her little stint on SVU that she did. I'm sure she's been in things, but like not things that I've seen. And this show kind of reminded me of the star power that she brought to like all of these roles that she had like in the 90s. Like she was a mega star. She was like the most famous actress in the world for a period of time. And she's a good actress. Um, but she, her character, Olivia Lake, is shown as being kind of unhinged mm-hmm. in like on a variety of ways and little conversations she has with her friends and little like aside scenes and little quick hit scenes. And we never really and her get... her intentions with Joel. Her intentions with everybody. Yeah. Uh, we never yeah. really get into that. Like, what is the matter with her? Like, wh- what's going on with her? And then she disappears and they kind of never loop it back. And to me, that sort of had some unfulfilled promise. Laura, Laura, it sounds like you agree with me that that Olivia Lake yeah. is unhinged. <laughs> yeah. No, I well, yeah, she's totally unhinged. I mean, and first and then I'm like, 
seriously, she's living in this giant home out there from selling a children's book? Really? (laughs) It was a very successful book, Laura. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so successful she could build her little nature trail. I'm like, so that didn't seem believable to me, but I definitely wanted some more, I agree. She was, she was totally like, she just didn't seem to be particularly balanced, which I thought was, was good because it, in one way, because it threw you off when you started to think one thing about what might've happened to her. Um, and then you realized maybe what she was portraying wasn't actually what was happening, but I definitely wanted some more of her history, especially as we got further into the story. And there was some back and forth with the rich mining people in the creepy houses on the hill with creepy men that you never see in their red room of, I mean, there was a lot of weirdness that I wanted further fleshed out. Um, But she was, I mean, she plays a really good crazy person. Right. And I, and I don't mean crazy. I know I don't want, you know, people to send us nasty feedback about that, but I mean like somebody who's, who's not stable in this situation and she does it very well. She's on the brink. Um, She's kind of broken. She's very insecure. She's desperately lonely. And she basically is like a predator to like every young man who comes into her field of vision. And and her, her sidekick, Pee Wee Herman, totally knows this as soon as in like the first, I was like, Pee Wee Herman like who first of all whoever thought he could I mean when you see him in like Pee Wee's Playhouse and then you see him in this show that's a role that's hard to overcome Mm. when you were Pee Wee Herman and he did a fantastic job but even you know back to her character as soon as she goes and orders her first drink from Joel like Pee Wee knows uh, we're screwed now right she's (laughs) his pants are coming on the hunt (laughs) yeah Um, and I I want to talk about that said the second story so the 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 show is set up this four years ago story Olivia like disappears Flash forward four years, there's someone in prison for the crime. Olivia Lake had been engaged to a guy who was actually a con man. And all of a sudden, his sister, who kind of hated him initially, decides to investigate the crime again and try to exonerate her brother. She's played by um, Jennifer Farron, who soap opera fans might remember uh, from As the World Turns. She's actually very, very good in this as well. Uh, And she kind of teams up with the cop, Nate Henry, to kind of pull this double cross on this alternative suspect. They think that Joel, the young artist that Olivia Lake had tried to seduce, may have actually committed the crime. So they convince him to come back and convince him that he is helping them in their investigation when they are actually trying to find proof that he did it. It's sort of this like complicated double cross. Now, Toby, one of the things that I really liked, and I, I kind of want to know what you think, because uh, I kept thinking of you and, and how you sometimes describe how difficult it is to portray certain types of action I really liked how a lot of the tension was built in betraying this double cross stuff um, because a lot of the scenes are really just them sitting in a restaurant talking, you know, just interviewing people, trying to get information, sitting in cars. And they did this sort of second layer of tension building with this double cross stuff by just kind of showing text messages that people were sending and receiving on their phones kind of in the background as these conversations were happening, showing the second layer I thought that was really clever, but I was thinking about you as I was watching it, wondering what you would think. So what did you think about that? Yeah, well, I think I, I guess that's that's two different things. Uh, yeah, I mean, the text messages, I feel like I've seen that somewhere before. A lot of places. Yeah, that's not. You know, I think there were possibilities there that maybe they didn't fully exploit, but that's fine. And as far as the like double cross thing, I mean, it's definitely it's sort of like Hitchcockian, right? I mean, it's it's got that suspense and tension. Yeah, I mean, I, I I had a lot of problems with this, but I thought 
that kind of setup that you just described, there's a lot of possibilities there. I'm not sure they were fully realized. Mm. Like what kinds of possibilities? I'm curious to know. Like what do you think that they didn't do they could have done? Well, I, I think, and especially since you sort of brought up these things together with the text messaging, it just felt like there was opportunities. So for instance, Joel's friend. Right. Who kind of betrays him. Mm-hmm. All the suspense is sucked out of that because Joel's like, oh, you know, that's fine, man. No hard feelings. (laughs) I see what you you mean. And it's just like there's a little bit of nervousness at the beginning. But that seems like a fraught situation, Mm. especially when you're you're betraying him basically because you think it's possible he's a murderer. Right. And so that to me, there were more possibilities than what they did. I understand. But Kevin, isn't the point of that, though, Kevin, that like he doesn't think he's a murderer? Yeah, he's an unreliable uh, not a narrator, but an unreliable character because in the sense his own memories all, are... Right. He doesn't know. Yeah. He's unreliable in his own thoughts that we see. So as the audience, we don't know whether to believe his own thoughts because some aren't there. I mean, we, we, it, the scene that Toby talks about, it's sort of cut between Joel's reaction to being told by his friend he's given him up, mm-hmm. and it cuts back and forth to him sitting very calmly and him yelling, you know, standing up and yelling at his friend, why would you do that? And right. we find out, okay, that was in his head. Right. Although we don't, at first we don't know which is in his head and which isn't. Right. You know, later on when he's sort of having these these fuzzy memories. Um, but are they memories? Are they memories when he, when he was drunk? You know, what, what's what? We don't know. And so that makes it hard, you know, to have full faith in that character's innocence. Right. Now, the only character I have full faith in this entire show is the local cop. Oh, I love that guy's performance. That was not, to me, I don't know how how you feel about this, Toby. I think the missed opportunity was just not going full Francis McDormand in Fargo and having just the whole thing revolve around this cop because his performance was wonderful. He was wonderful. The actress who played his wife was wonderful. Yeah. And there was just so much there. And they and, and this is it's a sort of a Soderbergh thing. I mean, um, I mentioned the movie Out of Sight, which is one of my all time favorite movies, it's like in my top five. That's a movie. It's one of the first movies that George Clooney ever did post ER. People started taking him seriously as an actor. It also stars Jennifer Lopez, strangely, and Dennis Farina. It's a wonderful heist movie. Um in which there's a lot of this same kind of stuff. Unreliable characters who may or not may not be lying, sort of layers of deception. And little, like, side characters, like Dennis Farina character, for instance, who you just want to have be on the screen all the time. And uh, Soderbergh just sort of, like, dips in with them, like, quickly, and then, like, that's it. You never see him again. And I really just wanted more of this cop. Like, to me, he'd get his own spinoff show. Toby, did you like him, at least? Oh, yeah. No, he was a great character. Yeah, yeah. And I I think they could have revolved around him a little bit more you know another thing that i feel like soderbergh was like subverting convention or whatever was just the the fact that he would just abandon these characters at strange times you just never see him again (laughs) and storylines and in some ways it's like well you know he's he's playing with the genre but in other ways it's like some of these conventions are there for a reason Mm. and i i found that a little frustrating yeah, yeah. And I, I also found frustrating. Laura, what about you? Um, I think it's we've seen it a million times before. Con man falls in love with his mark. Uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it just I felt like that was a little too predictable. Yeah. And um, and then I was kind of like, as it went on, I was kind of hoping, oh, maybe it's not really true. Maybe he's going to do a double cross or something because it just seemed a little too expected at that point. Now, Kevin, there's one thing that we need to talk about before we talk about the very controversial ending of Mosaic and what we all thought I think happened. Mm-hmm. There's a little extra bonus, there's a little thread that goes throughout the show that's sort oh. of a nod to our little friend on Dateline NBC, Keith Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> and then right after the plot of the show ends, there is a little end framing device. Do you want to uh, talk about that? Yeah. Uh, twice during the, the series, uh, you know, HBO has one of those. For a deeper look, stay tuned for the thing at the end. We don't realize it's not sort Heart of Heart like, of Homicide. Heart of Homicide. <laughs> As opposed to being like one of these uh, features that, you know, like behind the scenes, it's actually part of the story Mm. where you see it from a different aspect where a Dateline NBC type show is profiling the murder of Olivia Lake. And And the uh, exoneration of Eric Neal, the con man. Yeah, and the second one. Yeah. I think the actor uh, who played the lead reporter on that show is definitely doing a nod to Keith Morrison. Oh, totally. White hair, the whole thing. The oh. way he speaks, yeah. It's <laughs> it's kind of funny given our, our, our recent conversations. But it's interesting, too, because it isn't just a throwaway thing. It is part of the, the plot and of the story. Right. And I think it's good because where the story does end in the miniseries after episode six, this little epilogue in Heart of Homicide gives some shape to what happens next and helps, you know, some people form a maybe second, an alter- opinion. A second opinion about the ending. Yeah. So let's talk about the ending. Uh, full, let's go on full on spoiler here for a minute. <laughs> so listeners, if you come up this far, and you don't want to hear the ending. Fast forward to the review part. I first, when this ended, was like, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. And then I yeah. thought about it. And now I think I know what happened. Do you guys want to hear my theory about what happened? Here's yeah, okay. my theory. I'm curious. Okay. I'm ready. The sister. She becomes a central focus at the last couple episodes of the series, which is a strange choice because she's sort of a middling character and she becomes central focus. Mm -hmm. She is finally confronting the people she believes are behind the crime. I believe also that they are behind the crime. Otherwise, why would they offer her anything in exchange for Mm -hmm. her silence? In the moment where she has the option of potentially getting them to say what I want from you is for you to do something to get my brother out of prison, which ostensibly these billionaire people could do. She instead asks for the art collection. And in the moment, because she didn't plan to do it, realize that she's no better than her con artist brother and con artist father. And then that whole heart of murder thing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, what we're supposed to be seeing is that she... You know, she's supposed to doing these interviews about how she grew up in this family of con men and it was so awful and whatever. And she's realizing the whole time that she's also one of them. It's kind of a weird turn because the show isn't pointing yeah. us out. But that's what I think happened. Anyone else have an alternative there? Toby, you, I, you think I that disagree. Joel did it? What do you think? So I, I think Joel did it. And I like his whole story, his whole alibi just gets blown up. And then he finds the other half of the uh, ice scraper that killed her mm. in his truck. Yeah. It's a plan. Like, I don't know how you would know that. And my take on the meeting was that they thought that she was being a con man and going to them and just being like, look, I can set up this situation that makes you guys look really bad. Mm. And so the guy is just like, 
you know, I want to stipulate that we didn't do anything, but what is it going to take? I think he thinks she's just like, this is going to suck for you. If I try to make this case, it's going to be all this bad publicity, blah, blah, blah. And he thinks that she's just wants to get some money just to be quiet. And he's willing to entertain that. And then when she says, I want the red room, he's like, oh, shit, she actually believes this. Mm. Like, she's not just trying to chisel us for a little money. Right. It coincides for whatever reason with them finding out that Joel confesses, which mm-hmm. I thought was like bad. I, I didn't think that was a good <laughs> plot moment. It was only six episodes, Toby. <laughs> but that that was kind of my take was that they just assumed that because her she was from a family of con men and scammers that she was just trying to scam them and they were willing to pay something just to kind of get her out of their hair. That was mm-hmm. my take. Kevin, what's your take? Going on what I saw on the Heart of Homicide bonus. <laughs> okay. When they get Which to I, the did, I didn't see that. Yeah. Okay. You didn't see the Heart no. of Homicide bonus? Well, it's I was like so the co- like, it's like the coda. It's like it's in a mystery when you have the like the coda that like <laughs> yeah. resolves all the lingering issues. Boom. Yeah. I was sort of dismayed by the first one. So I watch the second one. <laughs> well, when they when they interview Petra, the sister, she is really um, flat. Flat, she's upset, she's troubled by something, mm-hmm. right? And she's not satisfied. And so I think that her plan was that, you know, she, she wanted it to be Joel, but then she realized it isn't. <laughs> I think that she was okay with leaving her her brother in jail, mm. who she already knows is a kind of, he may not be a killer, but he's already kind of a scumbag. Right. She was willing to trade him for all of the art. Right. Which I think she gets, but she knows now that the price for that is that Joel is in jail, and she knows that Joel is not the killer, and she feels troubled by that. Or she thinks he's not, for sure. I mean, we know the shirt isn't evidence, because we saw him throw it up on the shelf, right? So the shirt was yeah. in the studio. That right. wasn't on his body yeah. when he killed her. Yeah. Another theory that we threw out during watching the show was that it was Joel's wife who killed her. and yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I no. thought about that, too. Yeah. I don't think it was that. I think it was the guys on the mountain, mm-hmm. and the part that, like, stuck with me was when Joel confessed, I was, I was, I just didn't feel like that was what happened and I feel like he clearly was suffering from these alcoholic blackouts he clearly had complete like Jekyll and Hyde personality when he had been drinking he had come to terms with that because he seems like he's gone into recovery when he moved down to the alligator farm and he had some sort of unresolved you know guilt about how he had behaved when he had been drinking so I think he assumed the worst in terms of what he had been capable of. And then as this investigation was going on and they keep kind of poking at him and planting ideas and questioning him, it's almost like he had like planted memories Hmm. that he thought were in fact what had happened. And that's what led him to confess because he had this sort of unresolved, what did I do when I was drinking? I know I was an asshole. I probably did it. I just definitely did not feel like it was him. Why does he know where the other half of the murder weapon is and it's in his truck? I think somebody planted it. That's not the murder weapon. That was apparently something they believed was used to help bury her. Right, potentially. Well, they found found part of it broken off in her. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So it's just like, how would he happen to have it and know where it is and be 
and be worried about it. Well, I don't know if we know 100% for sure if that's what the piece of plastic yeah. was from. I, I don't feel like it was 100% for sure, but... I feel like the really? ending was... wasn't 100% for sure. I think that was part of the twist of the story was to leave you Perhaps questioning whether that was the right ending. we all disagree on what the yeah. ending was. Mm-hmm. That's actually kind of interesting. Now, Laura, just a quick question before we do our review. You, yep. you kind of got through some of the app. I started it, but it seemed kind of to parallel the show. As far as you can tell, is there anything more to the app that we should explore or not really? Well, it's hard to say because I only got through like three parts of it, but yeah. it seemed basically like it was clips from the show, mm. but you could watch them in different order mm. depending on what you were interested in. And for me, I was thinking, well, that's great and all, but part of the reason that the, st- the show and the narrative arc is structured the way it is is to build suspense. And mm. if you're watching it out of order, are you getting that same experience. So I think if you were really interested and you wanted to go back and maybe watch some scenes. um, But, you know, I didn't see anything different. Um, I can't say definitively that if you kept following the little map, you (laughs) didn't get there. But each one was like a half an hour. I'm sorry, but I don't have that kind of time. No, I agree. I don't have that kind of time. (laughs) That's why I didn't do it either. Because if you could, they were all locked until you finished them and they were too long. And I was like, I'm at work, people. All right. Well, let's just do our round table review. Uh, Thumbs up or thumbs down. Should the listeners of Crime Writers on check out the six-part Steven Soderbergh series Mosaic on HBO? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Um, I say yes. You know, we've got Sharon Stone acting crazy. We got Pee Wee Herman reinvented. We've got awesome scenes of the ski areas, which will make you want to move, and murder. So um, I say go for it. <laughs> uh, Toby Ball, what about you? I'm a little bit on the fence on this. I would probably say no. I think. There, there's definitely some good stuff in it. I think uh, the cop is is great, a great character. The acting's good. But I just, you know, he tries a bunch of things, and I think too many of the things just don't work. Mm. So I would give it a thumbs down. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I don't think it is great, but I think it's interesting. And as I mentioned earlier, I loved watching it. And anything that, even if I think it's kind of bad, and I I was talking with somebody about the other day, they're like, oh, wasn't that mosaic thing just so bad? I'm like, maybe, but like, did you watch the whole thing? And he was like, yeah, I watched every single episode. I couldn't wait. <laughs> and it's like, something can be bad, but if you love watching it, you have to say it's also kind of good. So mm-hmm. um, the parts that were bad... I don't know. I forgive him because I really loved watching this series. Part of it was location. Part of it was performances. Part of it was that, like, the story kept changing and, and like, it would be just a brand new kind of story. I thought it was interesting. And, uh, yeah, so thumbs up on Mosaic for me. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm very much like Toby, but I'm just going to be a slight thumbs up. Uh-huh. Uh, like I said, didn't care for kind of how it was starting. I didn't really like the backstory line, but when it got to the investigation... I love the the characters and that acting there, and I I did like the story, and you know forgot to mention sort of like this idea about what the children's book was to begin with, right? Which was kind of dopey but interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was the, about you know a bear, you know the the hunters that are trying to protect the woods from the bear, and the bears that are trying to protect the woods from the hunters. It's about it's about perception, right. and from you know from what side do you look at things on, and that kind of played through throughout. You think? <laughs> when, <laughs> when the sister's like changing her sunglasses and she's like, I like to choose what lens I see the world through. Yeah, I think perception was the theme here. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> which is why Mosaic is the name of the show. Yeah, <laughs> and even though it might not have completely worked, I mean, I. You you know, putting together an app and a special, you know, like website to go along with the TV show. It's it seems like you know an awful lot to do. Right. I think it'd just be a lot easier to just 
you know, get a website from Squarespace. Because <laughs> with beautiful templates created by world-class designer Squarespace, makes it easy to turn your idea, even if it's a crazy six-part murder mystery, <laughs> turn that idea into a new and unique website. Showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a, a few clicks. Uh, you can customize everything from the look and feel to settings and products. Want to know what a Squarespace site looks like? Check out CrimeWritersOn.com. Yep, check out this. Uh, LawAndOrderPod.com. I mean, HGTVPodcast.com. I love Squarespace. AuthorKevinFlynn.com. I love Squarespace. Yeah, Squarespace's analytics also helps you grow in real time, and there's never anything to install or patch or upgrade. I had a website, and it was like... All of a sudden, like it didn't work with any computers anymore, yeah. and it didn't render right. It just uh, they take care of all that on the back end. Destiny is calling. It says you need a new website. Make it with Squarespace. So great. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. It's great. Do whatever you want. Build the whole website. Build a little bit of it. When you're ready to launch, you use offer code CWO to save ten percent off your first purchase of a website or domain. So that's squarespace.com offer code CWO. I build a lot of websites. It's my favorite tool to use. Period. What else you got, Kevin? Uh well this one's just I'm gonna talk to Toby for a sec. All right. Toby? Intimately? Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Um did you know that when it comes to bra shopping, it's all about <laughs> finding your right fit? Mm. Yeah. Well there's only you got one your A cup, you got your B cup, no. you got your C cup. No, it's not just that. It's, no? There's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes double A through G. It's Third Love. Mm. And most bra brands only carry 15 sizes, but Toby Third Love offers 60 different sizes, including mm. half cups, which no one else has. Because they've used thousands of real women's measurements for super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit and feel great. Want me to leave? No, that's Toby right. Seems Toby is like enthralled, but Toby is enthralled by this. <laughs> yeah, I'm to- just writing some stuff down. Oh, okay, all right. Well, you, you, it just takes 60 seconds to do their uh, Third Love's Fit Finder quiz, so you know the kind of bra that will fit you. No awkward fitting room experiences like Toby's had. Try it's a- extremely awkward for me. It yep. is. <laughs> Try a Third Love bra. It's so comfortable you might forget you're wearing it, Toby Ball. And if you don't agree, returns and exchanges are easy and free. So this year, make the change. Ladies, listen to the men on the podcast telling you about bras. Brasplaining. Brasplaining here. Hashtag brasplaining. <laughs> Make that change that will change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com slash crime now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash crime. Crime. Thirdlove.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? Oh, well, you know, the problem with eating well is that it usually takes the time that realistically I'd rather spend doing other things. Yep. That's why Daily Harvest is the perfect solution. Love it. Healthy and hardly takes up any time. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned frozen superfood each straight to your door. And your choice of smoothies, soups, breakfast bowls, or plant-based sundaes. You just store them in the freezer, and then when you're ready to make it, just take it out. Add water or coconut or almond milk and blend it or heat it. 
the smoothies take just 30 seconds. The soups are ready in five minutes. And uh, it has all sorts of great super stuff on it. It tells you right on the, in big letters, yeah, right on the side what's inside. I love Daily inside. Harvest smoothies. Love them. Daily Harvest is the fastest, most convenient way to up your fruit and vegetable intake without having to put in the work. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME, crime. to get three items free in your first box. Good That's deal. promo code CRIME for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. Now it's time for a little something I like to call the crime Crime of the week. It was a tense standoff in Peterhead, Scotland, when police responded to a call of a tiger perched by a barn on a local farm. Responders worked to ensure the safety of residents and to locate what zoo the big cat had wandered away from. After keeping the tiger pinned down for 45 minutes, guns trained on the wild animal, the SWAT team realized the tiger was just a stuffed animal. <laughs> no word on who left the plush killer on the farm, but police say they had a, quote, roaring good time. That crime was great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's my question for the panel. Laura Bricker, what animal scares you so much that you might call for backup, even if you thought you might be looking at a stuffed version? This is so easy. Um, It is a snake. Um, (laughs) Let me tell you. So when I was like four years old, I was walking along with my grandmother and I refused to wear shoes and I stepped on a snake with bare feet and I have never gotten over that. So like I can't even if I see a snake in my yard once, that's the last time I go in that section of the yard for like three years. (laughs) So that's your answer. What about you, Toby? Is there an animal that you are so scared of that even if you thought you might be looking at a stuffed version, you would call for backup? Well, first of all, my daughter has one of those huge tigers. Oh. So it's easy for me to envision what happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's terrifying. What animal am I so terrified that even a stuffed one, and I can't be a snake because Laura already said that. If it's a snake, you can say snake. Well, I was thinking like a cobra. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Going really hardcore. Like a 12-foot cobra or something, mm. I would probably be... I wouldn't take any chances. Yeah, I have a real phobia of earwigs, as you know, Kevin. Oh, yeah. Uh, We have, you know, we live in the country. We get mice in our house occasionally. We get all sorts of ladybugs, spiders. I'm not really scared of big spiders. God forbid I come down to the laundry room and, like, pick up a damp towel off the floor and, like, an earwig comes skittering out. Uh. I am done. I'm done with laundry duty. (laughs) I'm done going to the basement. I fucking hate those insects so much and their stupid pincers. They scare the crap out of me. Why would you get a stuffed earwig? Do they sell stuffed ones? I don't know, but if they did, do not buy any. Because if you put them around the house, I will move out. Sounds, Kevin, sounds like the thing, Toby. You get like a Chuck E. Cheese when you turn in like all <laughs> your tickets. Right, you're one of these little guys. That's you get, a, you a get like a mood ring or a stuffed <laughs> yeah. earwig, yeah. or what a ball about, on a, pa- a paddle. Yeah. What about you, yeah, Kevin? Exactly. Uh, I think that I would be afraid of the real or stuffed version of Toby Ball's cat, Littlefoot. <laughs> That is very wise. That's a killer cat. (laughs) Very wise. That's a very, very good answer. And a very scary cat to boot. Lara Bricker, speaking of cats, before we leave for the week, do we have a cat of the week this week? Actually, we have a dog of the week this week, Rebecca. Nice. Love it. But it's a dog of the week that I chose because... It could appear that there was a crime of the week at the house of Katie Sergeif. Um, her dog of the week and, and crime scene of the week is Brody. Mm. He was rescued from a kill shelter in New Orleans as has been part of her family for a few months now. 
He's her 80-pound Cajun lapdog. He's huge. I saw a photo. So excited when she comes home, and he wags his tail so vigorously that he bumps it repeatedly against the wall and starts bleeding, and then he starts spraying blood (laughs) around their house. (laughs) So she scrubbed away the blood, but she told her husband if there was ever an incident in our home, the luminol test would light the place up like Christmas, and they would be locked up. Yeah. She's considering getting a pool noodle, cutting it, and putting it around Brody. <laughs> tail like a foam hot dog bun yeah. poor Brody yeah. but you know what how nice that Brody is so happy that he's been rescued that he's beating his tail and doesn't even notice it so uh, go Brody Laura you have to tweet a photo of this dog when this podcast drops <laughs> so our listeners can see how enormous yes. 80 pounds is a big dog this dog looks it's like a 200 pound dog in the photo that yes. she sent yes he's he, huge he is unbelievable and Laura Bricker people want to, want to reach you on Twitter perhaps to submit their submissions for cat or dog of the week by the way, that one came in by email at crimewritersona at gmail.com. There's another way to do it. But, Laura, if folks want to tweet to you, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Bob, listeners want to reach out to you and, and explain to you why your interpretation of the ending of Mosaic was so inaccurate. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can't. <laughs> um, yeah, they can find me at Toby Ball NH. And I just want to point out that it seems like the cat slash dog of the week it's sort of morphed into what is the most alarming. <laughs> and I'm not sure what's up with that. I love that's it. What I know. I'm picking up on. You know what? We're over our spate of like sad dead pet stories, so I'm just yes. happy to be past that. Uh, Kevin Flynn, if listeners want to tweet to you, how can they find you online? They can find me with my new Irish girlfriend, Natalie from Dublin. <laughs> We're going to be hanging out at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can tweet to our show at CrimeWritersOn.com and join the fine folks on the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group or leave a regular old comment on our regular old Facebook page. Subscribe at stitcherpremium.com slash crime to get exclusive ad-free content from our team. Go to our website, crimewriterson.com, to sign up for our newsletter. Leave us a review on iTunes. It makes a big difference if you love the show. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady and the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble. This show was recorded in the <clears throat> yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, the closet in our basement no one would mistake for a room in any house in Park City, Utah. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. All right, you guys ready? We are. Let's do it. Yep. I'm pulling up my pants. I'm ready. Jesus, what? What is your prep routine? <laughs> I'm so old. I have to pull my pants up. Oh, you mean just up a little bit or like all yeah. the way up? Wow. Up a little bit. Wow. You know the muffin top thing? <laughs> now we know what Laura's doing right before we record. That's why she always sounds so relaxed. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> You have a buzz in your mic. All right, you ready? It's not the mic. Okay. Partners in Crime Media. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay.